This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, how's everybody doing? We're here on a Wednesday at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, coming to you live until 3 p.m. Chris Brown, Maddie Glab with you, and another star-studded lineup of guests here at the Combine. And I'll just lay it out to you right now, just so you know what to stay tuned for through the course of today's show. Coming up in about 30 minutes' time, we'll have ESPN draft analyst Matt Miller. We're going to get his 411 on the prospects he likes, who he might see as a fit for the Bills, among others. Then, second hour of the show, the next draft guru will have Dane Brugler from The Athletic. He's got a tome-sized draft guide that he puts out every year. And because it's about 350-some-odd pages, he usually waits until early April. We were talking to him earlier and saying, hey, not to put the pressure on you, but when is it? (laughs) And he's like, sometime in April, sometime in April. He's like, I joked with him, he's like an accountant, uh, you know, during tax season, trying to get all these profiles into his draft guide before the draft hits. I mean, that thing is a book when you open it up. The extensive research that he does to put something like that together is incredible amazing i don't know how somebody has that much time in the day i think he lives on like maybe like 30 hour days instead of 24 hour days right and (laughs) the poor guy he and his wife they have four kids so he's like yeah march doesn't exist for me as a month Mm -hmm. because i go down into a cave and disappear like i come up he's like uh you know he's like the tulips in april you don't see him until he comes up out of the ground in april and there he is Uh, So we look forward to catching up with Dane, as we do every year here at the NFL Combine. And then, final half hour of the show, our good friend Charles Davis from the NFL on CBS also does pre-draft stuff on the NFL Network. So we'll catch up with him and uh, get his thoughts on some players. I want to find out some of the guys that he really liked at the Senior Bowl because he covered that wall-to-wall for NFL Network back in late January. And I know you wanted to get some thoughts from him on the HBCU game. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll ask him about prospects from that game as well for us to keep an eye on for the Bills. So that's kind of the rundown for today. But there are some things happening with coaches, players, and actually the first wave of players just came through this morning. I know you were here bright and early, Maddie, trying to get some comments from some of the defensive linemen and we got linebackers coming through too i think yep bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at eight in the morning talking to some of these prospects we had defensive linemen and linebackers come through the first guy that i got to talk with was chop robinson who's been a defensive lineman who's been mocked to the bills at that 28th spot in the first round and i asked him about hey what do you know about the bills well how would you like to join a defensive line and play with guys like von miller and ed oliver and he said you know that would be great to play with names like that Talk to Johnny Newton, a defensive tackle out of Illinois, who's also been a name attached to the Bills at number 28. And he said that he's watched quite a bit at Oliver film. Used to watch him all the time when he was at Houston. He said if he joined the Bills defensive line, it would be Sack City. So it's been fun to hear from some of these players. A lot of big names, a lot of great names uh, in that defensive line class. Maybe somebody that the Bills might be interested in in the first round or the second round because we know that's where the, the best depth lies within that class yeah so i'm really curious to kind of see how these players fare coming out of the combine we'll have testing obviously coming up tomorrow so the guys that are here speaking to the media today the line linebackers they'll test tomorrow they're already doing interviews so we've seen that um one of the top defensive tackles in the class byron murphy from texas 
who is a penetrating style defensive tackle. He confirmed for the media that he did speak with the Bills on an interview basis. So that's already on the docket. Uh, One of my favorite players in the entire draft is not necessarily a perceived position of need. He's a linebacker from Texas A&M, Edgerin Cooper. Uh, I watched him on tape for the first time about two days ago, Mm. and I haven't watched... I probably only watched about 100 guys so far, but... Only 100? What? He's, he's at the top of my list right now. Oh, my gosh. This, like, you know when you're watching tape and you go from one guy mm-hmm. to the next guy mm-hmm. to the next guy. Yeah, okay, you know, you're taking your notes and everything. I put his tape on, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> who is this cat? Because uh, he just looks different on the field, and when he sees it, he hits it, and he crushes people. Mm. Um Really attractive. When is he projected prospect. to go? He's kind of, um, I will say, on rankings boards, like overall whole draft. I've seen him anywhere from like twenty-eight, okay, to like forty-eight, okay. So I think he's probably late day one, but probably more likely day two, um, which kind of stinks because I think he's not even going to be a consideration for the Bills if they stay where they are at twenty-eight. And then at 60, I think he's going to be right in between there somewhere. Um, But, man, that is a guy that just you watch him play and you're like, wow. Like, he's just got an edge to him uh, and just a playmaking style that's just so attractive. And the only reason, like, I really started thinking long and hard about this for Buffalo is two reasons. Number one, we talked to Brandon Bean yesterday, Maddie. We got zero clarity on Matt Milano's prognosis. And I don't want to be doom and gloom, but right. after hearing him talk, I was like, oh, geez. Like, they eventually expect to get him back once the pads go back on for players, but that's not until August, late July, August. And then you remember I even followed up after you asked him about Milano. I said, so are we looking at yeah, training, training camp? camp? And he goes, yeah, but he's not going to step on the field day one of training camp and be popping pads. So now I'm thinking, oh, geez, is this like another situation like we saw with Trey White when he was coming back from the ACL where he's on the side, he's riding the bike and, you know, doing stuff on the side with trainers? What does that mean? So now I'm thinking, like, Bills may have a linebacker need. And you look at Tyrell Dodson, Tyrell Dodson, Tyler, AJ Klein. Tyler Manikiewicz, yep. and it's like, oh, maybe a sneaky need for the Bills is linebacker. Um I and it's they, not a great linebacker class, yeah. so does that mean if you feel it's a big enough need, you got to go earlier rather than later? I don't know. I was going to say, I would, not knowing the Matt Milano news and thinking that maybe he would be ready earlier than Brandon Bean told us, I, I was thinking, okay, the Bills are going to address linebacker at some point just because the yeah, amount of free agents three, are available. Yeah, but I'm thinking day three, right? Like, yeah, yes, for sure. What do you think about this? The Bills move back in the draft and they get a couple of picks in round two in round two yeah do you like that idea um i don't hate it um my concern is this when you're a team that is going for it which that's the cycle the bills are in right now they're going for the whole Mm -hmm. enchilada now so when that is the case and then now the the paradigm has shifted where the Bills, and we've heard Brandon Bean say it, we've heard Sean McDermott admit that that is the case, 
the Bills have to depend on younger talent now more than ever. Well, you better get the most NFL-ready young talent you can find, (laughs) and most of that's at the top of the Uh board. But if you've got multiple places that you have to fill in with youth, maybe it is better to slide back a hair and get, instead of getting one guy at 28 and one guy at 60, maybe get three people at 38, 51, and 60, and maybe you're better off. But I think you have to like what you see on the board in that range to pull the trigger on something like that. But something else that could push you there is receiver talent drained in round one. D-line talent, you don't like it at the bottom of round one. And that might be a reason to get out. Now, we've rarely seen Brandon Bean do that. He usually (laughs) goes the other direction, right? Um, But I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, We haven't really seen it from Brandon Mm -hmm. in the six, seven drafts that he's done for the Bills. Um, but I don't think we rule that out because you, you don't know. When you're picking 28, you have an idea of what the teams in front of you may or may not like and what they need to add to their roster. But when you're picking 28, there's a lot of people that can move up for something that they want. And now suddenly the 27 teams you had in front of you, now there's only 24 of them because it's three different teams up there. So, yeah, that that's what makes the draft so fascinating because you can plan and plan and prepare right. and prepare and all of a sudden the picture changes yep. in front of you and now you've got to make different considerations and have contingency plans at the ready to employ. And one way that they prepare for something like that is once you get closer to the NFL draft, Brandon Mean has told us the scouting staff will sit together and they will go through mock after mock after mock after mock to try to be ready for any situation that happens on draft night, knowing that you're sitting at number 28 Anything can happen, so let's be ready for the slew of scenarios that can happen before we pick. Yeah, so a lot to discuss there, and we will discuss it probably a lot between now and April 25th. Because right. um, it it's a fascinating thing, and uh, we know the Bills, as Brandon told us yesterday here on this show, he's got 10 picks, and he's really got a hit on this draft because they need as many contributors from the youth that is going to be injected onto this roster as soon as possible, like on the field, playing roles on offense or defense right away and contributing. Maybe not a front-line role, but some kind of you know supporting role to help this team win football games uh, on a weekly basis. Before we get to around the NFL, which we'll do in just a second, I just did want to take a quick moment to acknowledge uh, the passing of longtime radio host Chuck Dickerson, former Bills offensive line coach as well, um, a person that I had the opportunity to work with at WGR for seven years. And, look, I'll be the first to tell you, he wasn't for everybody. Uh, He was enormously popular as a talk show host. And, as I said, I worked with him for seven years. I was the beat reporter for the Bills at WGR during that time. And, look, he did not make my job easy because uh, here I am as a Cub reporter trying to cover the team, and he's got bombastic opinions about the team I'm covering, and I'm going there with a WGR mic flag in the locker room, and I got players looking at me like, yeah, not happening, bro. Um, so he did not make my job easy all the time, but I do know he made a point of telling me both on air and off air that my contributions with the news that I would bring back from One Bill's Drive were appreciated because it helped make his show better. So we always, you know, he didn't make my job easy, but when I did bring him stuff that helped him with the show, he always made sure to thank me for that. So 
that's number one. And then number two, I will say in the seven years that I spent with him, I learned more from him about football than anybody else that was a direct pipeline from the league as a former coach. So I thank him for that. So sorry to hear about his passing. Um, I'm going to be honest. I didn't think he was getting to 86. He was not in the best of health 20 years ago when I worked with him. Um, but I think it speaks to the <laughs> to the tough old Marine that he was, uh, <laughs> that he got that far. So um, my condolences to his family uh, and RIP to Chuck because uh, he was, you know, I, as I said, he wasn't for everybody. And some people found him gruff, abrasive, and difficult to get along with. Um, I did not have that problem with him as a colleague. Uh, so, you know, for me, um, sorry to hear of his passing. So I just wanted to acknowledge uh, the coach, Chuck Dickerson, uh, in that capacity briefly. Uh, around the NFL, presented by Kaleida Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And we begin, Maddie, with cap clearing maneuvers. We talked to Brandon yesterday. You know, he talked, he confirmed the Connor McGovern restructuring. Mm-hmm. He said there's more work to do, and we know why, because they're way over the cap right now. Other teams are doing the same. The Chiefs, the Super Bowl champion Chiefs, chief among them, no pun intended, but they are releasing Marquez Valdez Scantling. It's going to save them $12 million on their cap, which for the situation they're in, that's kind of a no-brainer. Marquez Valdez Scantling kind of had a similar season that we saw Gabe Davis have, Maddie. There were some bright moments where they delivered on some big plays, and then there were some other stretches where it's like, man, we could really use some more from the quote-unquote number two receiver. So Valdez Scanling saves them $12 million. He's going to be off the roster. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if a player like that is going to save you that much money and you look at what that player did in seasons past, especially last season, when you're there some games and you're not there other games on the stat sheet, when you pop in some games but other games you're really not noticed at all, I think $12 million says a lot about what you can save knowing where they're at with their cap number. Yeah, so that's one step. Uh, we also heard the Chiefs discuss yesterday some of their other priorities. Namely, number one corner, Legarius Sneed. Mm-hmm. He is, he's a free agent. So, too, is Chris Jones. Franchising Chris Jones, not really an option because that number is too cost prohibitive. So they have to walk, work on a contract extension for him. They do want him back. But really interesting development conter- concerning Legarius Sneed. Most teams want to keep their number one corner. They basically opened the door to putting the tag on him and then trading him. Tag and trade. It's not a common occurrence in the league, but they are open to it with Ojarius Sneed. And I guess to a certain extent, I understand it from this standpoint, Maddie. They've invested heavily mm-hmm. in their secondary with draft choices. They, they took three corners two years ago in one draft. Trent McDuffie, Jalen Watson, and Joshua Williams. Joshua Williams has been kind of a fourth corner fifth corner so my my suspicion is they just move bump everybody up in the pecking order if they franchise Legarius and then trade him and they'll have offers I mean he is a dynamic cover corner so it's not like they're going to be short of offers for him so once again the Chiefs decide hey high price player a la you know uh, Tyree Kill mm-hmm. love to have him he's too expensive 
Let's send him away and get compensation in return and hope we draft well to help replace him. Yeah, and everybody said when Tyreek Hill left the Chiefs, everybody was wondering, is this offense going to be the same? Is Patrick Mahomes going to be the same? Is Andy Reid going to be the same coach without one of the best wide receivers in the game? Well, they proved we don't need somebody like that because we can still win games. We can still win Super Bowls Mm -hmm. without a number one type guy because we can do it via the draft and we can do it via free agency by just putting bodies on the field who can be productive enough in games to get us to the big one, to get us to the Super Bowl. And, I mean, the Chiefs on offense this past year, not their strength. It was their defense. Yes, in the postseason, the offense uh, was able to take shape and form, and, and Travis Kelsey had a great game against the Bills when, when we faced him in the playoffs. I know not as much during the season, but you wonder a player like Legereus Sneed, bringing it back to the defense Are the Chiefs ready to part ways with somebody who added so much to that defense? Do they feel like they're at a place where they can bump guys up on the pecking order of first string, second string, third string, fourth string, first string guys out, so fourth string guy gets some more opportunities? Is that going to create a big drop-off in what they put on the field? It's a risk, but they took that risk with Tyreek Hill and won the Super Bowl the next year without him. Um, it's a balance. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a risk. You may not be as good on defense. Maybe you're not the number two team in points allowed. Maybe you're not the number two total defense. Maybe you're not top five against the pass. They clearly feel like they can sustain a loss like yeah. that and be okay. It is a good corner draft, so let's not forget that. Maybe they draft another corner. I don't know that they will, but um, that's an option also. And obviously, with the compensation they're getting back, I would assume they're looking for draft capital. Right. So armed with more draft choices they can take a swing at a corner and still address some of their other needs like wide receiver probably Mm -hmm. offensive tackle among other things so yeah i mean the chiefs have kind of worked the formula and worked it very well for themselves to the tune of three super bowls in five years so far be it from me to tell them they need legerious need Um, i'm just very interested to see a what they get in terms of offers Mm -hmm. for legerious need and then b what the compensation is and what they can turn that into in terms of refortifying their roster. Other uh, salary cap clearing around the league. The Browns restructured their former number one pick, Denzel Ward's contract. The corner clears $11.3 million in cap space with a simple conversion. And then the Saints converted starting center Cesar Ruiz's roster bonus. That cleared $6.5 million for the Saints, who we know, much like the Bills, have a lot of work to do uh, to clear cap space. They had the highest figure over the cap is like eighty million dollars, uh, but they're used to it. They yeah, do it I every was year. Say, and the Saints are usually the, <laughs> the first team that starts making moves like that. They, they usually set off the trend uh, of a lot of other teams starting yeah, to make. They start moves. early because they got the most they work to, to do. Yeah. Uh, other notes: uh, both his represent, representation and the Dolphins are hard at work on a contract extension. Of course, we're talking about Tua Tagovailoa, head coach Mike McDaniel, who addressed the media late yesterday afternoon basically confirmed that he didn't put a timeline on it he said it's impossible to predict that he said his main offseason concern as the head coach of the Dolphins is to be communicating with Tua uh, and what he needs from McDaniel to advance his game further and it was a good season for Tua I mean let's not kid ourselves he led the league in passing yards and had a career high in passing touchdowns but I'm glad they're signing him to an extension because to me he's never going to measure up to Josh And so, to me, that's an advantage Buffalo 
as far as the division race is yeah, concerned. Yeah, Mike McDaniel said, my belief has always been strong from day one in Tua. It's stronger than it was the first day I met him. And I think Mike McDaniel was asked a question. I can't remember if it was directly about Tua or just their team in general being able to play like they do in the regular season in the playoffs. And he said, well, calculus and algebra are not the same. I was there for that <laughs> comment. So he said, he said, in only the way McDaniel can say it, you could be good at algebra. He goes, but then when you have to do calculus, you're not automatically good at calculus just because you're good <laughs> at algebra. And I'm sitting there going, this is why everybody loves this guy. Yeah. He's so quirky. It's just, I don't know. Uh, it, there's something about him, and Steve has said this, and I think he's got it nailed, because uh, Steve reads people really well. Steve said, he's a hard guy not to like, because mm-hmm. he's so unique. Like He's got the charisma. Every press conference with him is an adventure, because you don't know which way it's going, and the analogies and the metaphors he uses are so off the wall. Like, how do you get asked about your football team and find your way to calculus? Yeah. Like, you know, it's How's just... that the first thing at the top of your mind? It, and you can see... And this is the first time I've ever been at a Mike McDaniel press conference in person. Uh-huh. I've seen some of them on yeah. tape. I've watched them. You know, the Bills are playing the Dolphins. You yeah. want to watch the coach's press conference from the other team. Being in person, you can just see the wheels turning in his head <laughs> as he's thinking of an answer. Um, it was very interesting to be in person at a Mike McDaniel press conference. The Miami reporters, they got an adventure every week with that guy. It'll be interesting to see once that contract gets done what it looks like because we have not seen it from Tua yet that you have proven that you can win in the playoffs consistently, that you can be the AFC East champion. The Bills have held that spot for the last four seasons and they will continue to contend for that spot. And in relation to the contract... What does it look like over the years, and is there an out? And when is that out? Yeah, and you know where you are now in the quarterback market. You're at about fifty-five million a year. Like that's going to be the average annual value. You know, obviously you can change the guaranteed money and move that kind of stuff around. Roster bonuses, signing bonuses, etc., incentives. Um, but they're going to have to pony up that money, and I know we have. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport on our schedule to be a guest on the show Mm -hmm. tomorrow. And that is one question I absolutely want him to ask because I want to ask him because $55 million a year for Tua, structure it however the hell you want. Can you still have enough money left to pay Christian Wilkins and keep him too? Because he's going to be north of $20 million also. So that's a question we got for Ian Rappaport. He'll be on the show tomorrow, so we look forward to catching up with him. Mock drafts galore. And uh, since we're not going to have you here with us on Friday, Maddie, I thought I would throw this one out there, yeah, too. Bucky Brooks it. from uh, NFL.com and Move the Sticks podcast that he does with Daniel Jeremiah, who we had on the show yesterday, put out his mock draft 2.0. And much to the chagrin of Bills fans, he has Brian Thomas coming off the board at 26 to Tampa mm-hmm. Bay, which could very well happen if the Bucks don't re-sign Mike Evans uh, or bring him back in the fold in some capacity. Uh But Brooks had the Bills taking Keon Coleman, the Florida State receiver, by way of Michigan State. And, look, there are a lot of redeeming qualities about Keon Coleman. What bothers me is I don't see him as a consistent separator. I think he's a great jump ball receiver, uh, can go up and get it, can win contested balls, but not a consistent separator, and then doesn't have the home run speed 
after the catch. Like he's not going to run away from people Mm -hmm. in the open field. So, look, Bills get Keon Coleman. I'm not going to be disappointed. Right. But I'm looking for ideal fit for the Bills. And for me, that's not Keon Coleman there at the bottom of the first round. Again, wouldn't be disappointed, especially if people like Brian Thomas and Adonai Mitchell are off the board. Well, then I'm fine with it because – He's kind of in that range, and okay, you couldn't get that guy, you couldn't get this guy. Not a bad guy to settle on. Yeah, he's being lumped in the group of Brian Thomas, and and I would say Brian Thomas is kind of sticking out in this group of four wide receivers that are going to be available in the 20s, possibly, unless Brian Thomas goes uh, in the late teens. But it's him, Keon Coleman, Troy Franklin, and A.D. Mitchell are kind of in that next group that you would take at the bottom of the first round or maybe in the early 20s, depending on where you're drafting and what your needs are. And with all of those guys, they have the speed to separate. They are consistent separators. Keon Coleman is not one of those players. And I thought it was interesting, not that it's a terrible thing because he does have a lot of great tape, but are the Bills looking for something like that? And I thought Dane Brugler's comments about Keon Coleman were interesting because he had Keon Coleman on his list of players to watch at the NFL Combine. And he said he's not a consistent separator, but I don't think he needs to be with the way that he plays the game. Yeah, he's so good at the catch point yes. um, and can box out. You know, Using his basketball background, he boxes out DBs to make the play on the ball. But after the Bills have had... Gabe Davis on this roster the last four years, who's been kind of the same type of player, uh, and knowing he's probably going to sign elsewhere for sizable money in free agency, you wonder, do the Bills want to go down that same path with the same kind of receiver, or do they want something different? And that's what I wonder about, and we probably won't know until April 25th or 26th, -hmm. or maybe even the 27th. (laughs) Um, So yeah, and again, that's what makes all this discussion uh so fascinating and i know the last time we did the mock draft watch with you on friday's show last week it was grossly lopsided in favor of wide receiver at 28 well here's another one to throw on the pile yeah exactly i think we tracked 22 mock drafts in mock draft watch 2.0 and of the 22 we had 19 wide receivers heading to the bills at number 28 yeah we were talking like we've never seen it no that grossly lopsided Mm -hmm. but that's where we are and will it shift and change yeah maybe a little maybe a little but I don't think Brandon said anything here at the Combine that would prompt mock drafters to shift that, like, noticeably. I think we'll see some more defensive line mocks in the coming weeks, probably. So I wouldn't be surprised if it kind of evens out a little bit more over the next several weeks. Are you tracking that already? Is it kind of moving a little I bit? I haven't tracked the latest ones because it seems like they, they pause for the Combine week. There's a yeah, few that go that's... out right before the Combine, but then it stays quiet until after the Combine. After everybody's tested, after everybody's ran those 40s, I'm interested to see if Brian Thomas shoots up the chart hmm. if he runs uh, in 4-3 range, you know? Yeah, and he's expected to because even for a 6-4, guy, he is freakish. Um, <laughs> and For that matter, I think Adonai Mitchell, also known as A.D. Mitchell, he was known as A.D. Mitchell at Georgia, and then he goes to Texas and he's like, yeah, I'm good with Adonai. And I was like... Man, you're you're going into the draft. I don't think yeah, you want do you, any you name want? confusion yeah. with anybody. Um, I'm sure the scouts and the teams know who the heck he is, but for for our listeners, like you're like, oh, who's Ad Mitchell and who's Adonai Mitchell? Same, Same guy. guy. Um, but he's going to test through the roof too. Um, even if you just look at his body type, he is so thick through the bottom. He's got big muscular thighs, big calves. Even though he's not wide framed up top, and so that's why I think he's going to 
like on the vertical leap, if he's not over 36 inches, I'll be stunned. Um, I really think he's going to test well, too, which unfortunately sometimes moves those guys up the board further. And we had Daniel Jeremiah on the show yesterday, and he sees Adonai Mitchell coming off the board somewhere between 20 and 35, mm-hmm. which is right in Buffalo's range. And fortunately for the Bills, they're kind of closer to the top or, well, right smack in the middle of that range. So hopefully they're in position if they want the receiver there that Mitchell's still on the board and they can get him. Got to take a break here, but when we come back, we're going to have our first draft guru of the show today. ESPN's Matt Miller will join us here live. We look forward to catching up with him and getting his thoughts on some of the more notable prospects that could be good fits for the Bills. We'll catch up with Matt next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to the NFL Scouting Combine here in Indianapolis. Chris Brown, Matty Glab with you, and pleased to be joined now by NFL Draft Analyst for ESPN, one Matt Miller, who's making the rounds here. It's a busy week for him, as you might imagine, but thanks for giving us some time, Matt. Appreciate it. Um, Why don't we start big picture here, just to begin, and, like, if you had to put, like, let's just pretend you're the editor of, you know, an old-school newspaper, and you got to put a theme on this draft class this year, what would you say is the biggest thing that we should take from this group? Yeah, offensive star power is the biggest thing. You know, we're going to see a draft. Obviously, you guys are picking a little bit later in the mm-hmm. first round, but we're going to see a draft that's dominated early by quarterbacks, which you don't need one. You're pretty good there, yeah. right? Wide receiver, <laughs> which I think is something of interest to Bill's yes. fans. And then offensive tackle. I mean, we, we could see five quarterbacks six, seven, eight wide receivers, and six, okay. seven, eight offensive tackles drafted in the first round. Oh. If you do some quick math, that's like 20 of the 32 picks. So it's really going to be dominated by offense and by those blue-chip positions. So if you're a Bills fan, you're hoping those quarterbacks kind of go move up the board, get taken maybe before the Bills are on the clock at the number 28 spot, and hoping some of those offensive tackles get taken in the teens and the 20s there so that there's some wide receivers available for the Bills at number 28. It's been a popular position mock to the Bills so far, but aside from wide receiver, or you can include wide receiver in this, I want your take on any favorite prospects that you have for the Bills at 28 and why. Oh my gosh, yes, I will go wide receiver. Adnan Mitchell, and I, I tweeted about this this week, Adnan Mitchell from Texas is a six foot four receiver who I was talking to his trainers they were hand timing him which can be a little different than electronic timing in the four three five mm-hmm. second range in the 40 yard mm-hmm. dash and that speed shows up on tape so when I think and I'm one of the biggest Josh Allen fans outside of Buffalo New York I think but when I think about Josh I would love for him to have that reliable consistent deep threat somebody that can stretch the field because Josh has the strongest arm in football but also someone who can take some of those slant routes and turn them into house calls somebody yeah. can take the that's where the game is going like everyone wants to play too deep I want a wide receiver who is going to hit that hitch and they can make someone miss and has the speed to run away and that's who Adonai Mitchell is yeah and, and for a guy who doesn't have a wide you know upper body frame you know that kind of thing his lower I mean his lower half is yeah. really muscular like everybody's talking about oh he's going to jump out of the gym on the vertical leap and yeah kill it like the former basketball background is there I mean and my favorite thing about Mitchell so he was at Georgia and then transferred to Texas so yeah. you've seen him play against Alabama quite a bit because of that Every game against Alabama was kills like the best game of his career. So <laughs> you, it's, you know, it's like, oh, you want to see best versus best? Well, Alabama's pretty good. Well, it, I got two corners yeah, that are going to go in the first two days exactly, of the draft. Exactly. So, yeah, it's great. Um, as you mentioned, seven offensive tackles, six corners, six quarterbacks in your top 50. Yeah. How much can those in-demand – they're in-demand positions. We know that. They're yeah. premium positions. Maddie touched on it. 
How much can they push talent down to Buffalo at 28? We already kind of examined receiver, but let's just say the value isn't there at receiver when they're on the clock at 28, and they got to shift to maybe defensive line where they have eight free agents. Yeah. Uh, what could get pushed down to them conceivably maybe at edge or defensive interior? Yeah, I mean, I think edge is the one spot where, and you guys, like Brandon Bean is going to have a campaign of, hey, J.J. McCarthy and Bo Nix are pretty good quarterbacks. You know, if we yeah, didn't yeah. have Josh Allen, you want we early. would be looking at those guys. You want to push them up the board. Uh, so I do think edge rushers, an interesting one this week, will be UCLA pass rusher Leatu Latu, who I think is the most NFL-ready of the pass rushers, but he's got the neck injury that forced right. him Medical, to medically yeah. retire when he was at Washington. But he's been healthy the last two years, so you feel good about that. A player I fell in love with, and I should have known better because I'm a Missouri guy, at the Senior Bowl, Darius Robinson, 6'5", 290 pounds. He can play on the edge. He can play on the inside. He's just He could do it all, and he does it at a high level. So you actually, a lot of times we used to call guys tweeners. It's like, yeah, well, we don't really know where to put them, and you lose a little bit of something. With Robinson, you don't lose anything because he has the speed and the power to play any spot Elite on the Elite physical trait guy. Elite right? physical trait. So he'll have a great week here. But also, you know, not just someone who was just the most athletic player on the, on the line. Again, playing SEC football. You have to have technique. You have to know how to use your hands, and he does that really well. He also is a stand-up guy who seems like he could be a great leader on a team like the Bills as well. It was really nice to hear from him today when he was speaking on the podium. In your latest mock draft, I know it was a while ago, but you mocked the Bills a center at number 28 in Jackson Powers Johnson. Mitch Morse is getting up there in his career. You talk about Missouri guys. He's another one of those. He's getting up there in his career. Uh, Has one year left on his contract, I believe, Brownie. Yes. why did you decide center there? Yeah, and I think with Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon, the nice thing is he could play center or guard. Mm-hmm. You know, he's 334 pounds, which would be a big change from Mitch as and would be one of the biggest centers in the NFL. But he could come in and play guard immediately. And I actually look at this offensive line as good enough, but you always want to get better on the offensive line. Turn that into a strength, especially with Joe Brady running the offense. I think we saw last year a lot more of the run game later in the season. Obviously, you're going to get some of that in the playoffs, but having that powerful, whether it be a right guard or eventually a center to replace Mitch Morse, I think that's just one of those bookend positions, and the value is fantastic. I I have colleagues who think that JPJ could be a top 20 pick, so Mm. here he is at this spot. Really, really good value. Defensive line depth, I know we already kind of covered defensive line and the needs for the Bills. Uh, They play a rotational system, so guys roll through all the time. And with eight free agents out of the 12 players that were on their roster last year, they're not going to be able to get enough free agents to fill all the holes. So knowing you need rookies to at least play a role for you, and they're in the lineup, and they're getting 40% of the snaps maybe on defense every week, how long can you wait where you can still get a guy that could do that for you in the draft? I think it depends. Uh, Edge rusher, you're probably actually looking at 28. Edge rusher or wide receiver. I think defensive tackle, this is a unique year that Byron Murphy from Texas is probably going to go in the top 20. And then you have Jerson Newton, who I actually think is a pretty good fit for for the Bills scheme. He's a lot like Ed Oliver coming out of Illinois. He could be there at 28 after that. There's a, a group of guys that are all kind of in that like middle of round two, okay. like Leonard Taylor from Miami. Yeah. Now, so it's like, okay, there, there are guys here. McKinley Jackson from Texas a m is another one uh, where it's like, gosh, the, I don't feel great about them as a top 50 pick. So maybe later round two is where they oh, can come Oh, that's good because the so Bills pick 60. great news for the Bills yeah. is that that second tier of defensive tackles isn't coming off the board early round two. It's more likely late round two. 
Awesome. Uh, that, that's the best news we heard all I week. Know. I know. I know. Okay. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> Thanks good. Thanks for that. Check that box. Uh, the Chiefs are a team who, over the last couple of seasons, have had to get a lot younger through the draft and then yeah. play those young draft picks because you have a quarterback in Patrick Mahomes who demands money, and his contract reflects that. Josh Allen is starting to get into that part of his contract. Knowing where the Bills are at with that, as well as their cap number, you're paying other guys like Von Miller and Stephon Diggs what can the Bills learn from a Chiefs team who have had to do that in the last couple of years? Yeah. The Bills may have to do that as well. I think well. one thing the Chiefs did really well was identify what types of players their coaches wanted. You know, okay, we have Steve Spagnuolo. Let's get guys who fit what he wants. You know, they went with long, uh, athletic players on the defensive line. In the secondary, they wanted guys who were fast, but also guys who were really smart and played a lot of different positions in college so that they were able to step right in. Not just, you know, a Trent McDuffie who's a first-round pick, but, you know, to find a Legereus Sneed, to find a Jalen Watson. So I think that's the lesson is, you know, getting, getting that continuity in your coaching staff to where you can say, okay, what kind of guys does Joe Brady want? You know, what kind of players do we want on defense for this scheme? You mentioned, you know, you're going to have a wave of pass rushers. What does that profile look like? Yeah. You know, is there a length that you want? Is there a certain three-cone time that you want? And then building it out that way. I think that's one of the undertold stories of how well Kansas City is drafted is, they're drafting guys that just fit their scheme so well. We have uh, a guy that stepped into the lineup this le- this year to take over for Tremaine Edmonds, had a fantastic season, and Terrell yeah. Bernard, a former third-round pick. Um, linebacker isn't a major need for Buffalo, but Tyrell Dodson's a free agent. Uh, Tyler Matikiewicz, their special teams ace, is a free agent. So they've got guys that are coming off the roster, and Matt Milano, Brandon Bean was telling us yesterday, well, by the time the pads are back on, that's probably when we're going to see him. So we're not talking until training camp right. at the earliest that we're going to see Milano coming back from that leg injury that he suffered last season in Week 5 in London. So linebacker is kind of a sneaky need that's sitting there, but not something that they necessarily want to address early. I know it's not a great linebacker not, class for off-the-ball guys. It's not good. But is there anybody sitting there... You know, early day three that may merit some consideration to at least play a backup role, special teams kind of role for the Bills at linebacker. I I look at someone like Jalen Ford coming out of Texas. You mentioned Matt Milano. I think Matt is one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. Jalen Ford had six interceptions the last two years at Texas and is someone that can drop into coverage, can control that middle of the field. He's got really good arm length to take away some of those passing windows. Now he's available in the fourth round because I think he'd be a touch slow processing, especially in the run game. Okay. But the coverage ability stands out. And so I think day three, that's what I'm always looking for. What is your standout trait? What is something that we can build on as a player? Terrell Bernard certainly had that. Uh, so I think Ford in, in round four, maybe he comes off a little earlier, but as you were saying, it's not a good linebacker class. We're not going to yeah. see a first-round pick, I don't believe. Uh, we're, we're probably going to see a two maybe in the top 50, and then it's you know we're waiting for those tiers to come off. Let's go back to last year's draft. The Bills drafted Dalton Kincaid with their first pick that they had in the first round. And then they also drafted Osiris Torrance out of Florida. Both of those guys drafted earlier on, and they played quite a bit of time uh, starting Osiris Torrance definitely played every single snap yeah. uh, last season. What did you think of their play? How they were kind of you know put out there from the beginning, but also uh, did a great job with their first season yeah. in the NFL. Torrance was one of my favorite players in the draft last year, just because of the physicality that he played with. I mean he he played with the, an attitude. I'll say every snap, and it showed up. And I think that carried over to his readiness in the NFL coming out of that Billy Napier run system, to where he was able to step in contribute right away 
Dalton Kincaid, uh, you know, we can have a conversation about positional value at the mm-hmm. tight end spot, but I think what he can do in, in conjunction with Dawson Knox, he's going to play a lot in the slot. He's just going to be a pass game weapon more than a traditional tight end. So I thought both guys, you know, did great. Um, Dalton is someone that's going to have a really, really bright future. We see how many great young tight ends are in the NFL, and, and he's, I think, at the top of that list, or, or could very well be at the top of the list. He and Sam Laporta are the guys yeah. who yeah. kind of take over that position as we see mm-hmm. the Travis Kelseys and George Kittle start to you know, get to the maybe the tail end of their careers. Uh, day three depth, second question, because I already asked you about mm-hmm. linebacker. Safety is a position that's kind of in a state of flux here for the Bills yeah. for the first time in a long time. Micah Hyde probably contemplating retirement. Jordan Poyer's got a fat cap number. We don't know how that's going to play out. And then even some of their depth players at safety are free agents, Cam Lewis among them. So um, maybe walk me through maybe some day three value at safety. Again, I know it's not a safety class where you're looking for frontline people. I expect the Bills to fill the holes in free agency for safety. But just guys you can have on your depth chart that can, again, play on teams at the safety spot. The, the nice thing for Bills fans about the safety position this year is that none are going to be drafted early. You know, we, we could actually go through the first two rounds without a safety drafted. Wow. So that talent's going to get pushed down. So guys like Tyler Newbin from Minnesota, Cam Kinchins from Miami, you're looking at them and thinking, hey, these, these guys are going to be top 50 picks. They might be round three picks, and wow. that's going to push down a Javon Bullard from Georgia. Yeah. It's going to push down a James Williams from Miami to where you're, you're looking at, you know, sitting there in round four like, Gosh, there's only two safeties drafted so far. So you might actually have the pick of the litter. One of my favorites is Kalen Bullock from USC, who is yeah. a great ball hawk, just not a good tackler. And it's not that he doesn't want to tackle. I just don't know that anyone has taught him how yet. So if he can get that figured out, he could be a starting NFL safety who does have some of that Micah Hyde ball hawk mentality. Yeah, and he runs down people in the open field, too. I saw, like, a bunch of tackles he made. Yeah. You think the guy's gone for a touchdown, and he runs them yeah. down. I was impressed by that. I'm very curious. To see how he times. Matt, thanks for all the insight. We appreciate it. Of course. Kind of paint the picture for us, especially on day two and day three. You hear all the day one stuff? <laughs> thanks for, like, knowing the no, whole that's class. The, that's the fun part, right? Yeah, it is. And the most unpredictable part, too, to a certain extent. Yeah. Appreciate the time, as yeah. always. That's ESPN NFL Draft Analyst Matt Miller joining us. We'll take a break. Be back with more here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live here at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. We're here all week covering the movers and shakers and very soon the testers as well. Defensive linemen and linebackers will begin testing tomorrow. All right. Quarterbacks started rolling in today. They'll start their interviews with teams tonight and then meet the media here tomorrow, and then they'll test on Friday along with wide receivers uh, so that, oh no, the wide receivers test on Saturday, I think. That's what it is. They always save the receivers for the weekend. They know more people are at home and they might watch those guys run the 40. That's why they always save the receivers for Saturday. And then the receivers Network talk. executives. Yeah, they know exactly, what they're doing. Exactly. And then they talk to media on Friday right over here past the curtain that we're kind of around. Uh, so receivers and quarterbacks, I believe, talk Friday. Offensive linemen and running backs talk on Saturday. Tomorrow we will hear from safeties and cornerbacks. Yeah. So look forward to those because, uh, as we were just talking with uh, Mr. Miller here, the Bills are going to be in the market for some safety reinforcements probably later in the draft. But him telling us, hey, you know, some of the best ones may not even come off the board until late day two. 
So uh, that's an encouraging thing. So mm-hmm. if you're picking down at 99 in round three, which is kind of where the Bills are expected to be, you're going to have maybe a situation where you have a safety prospect who might be too good to pass up, depending on the value on the Bills board. So be interesting to see what's still available by the time the Bills are on the clock in round three at the end of day two. And do they go safety or do they just decide to go to another position where they still have a few holes? Um, I'm really wondering, like, how many holes are still going to be left on the defensive line? Because, Maddie, with eight free agents, I just don't see a way where they're going to be able to sign enough defensive linemen that they can afford and not have still a hole or two or three or maybe four still on the defensive line when they get to the draft. Yeah, you're going to think they're going to have to address in free agency and in the draft. And it would make sense for the Bills to draft a safety later in the draft, especially if some of those guys will be available later on. You would it makes sense to also address that position in free agency and then decide to draft somebody that maybe can learn under mm-hmm. a couple of starters like Jordan Poyer. Not sure what, what will happen with Micah Hyde. He's set to become a free agent. Does he come back to Buffalo for one more year? That will uh, remain to be seen. But I, I like the idea of getting some veteran safeties in this building and then if it's there for you later on, drafting a guy that you believe you can de- develop. Yeah, and the market, as we said the other day, uh, free agent market for safeties is flush with starting caliber talent. And the hope, I think, for the Bills is with so many starting caliber sa- starting caliber safeties in the free agent market, I think the hope is that the supply outweighs the demand and you can get a good value on the free agent market. Because as we talked to Brandon Bean yesterday, he pretty much confirmed it, and I think we all kind of knew this already, that with the Buffalo cap situation where it is, even when they get out from under the cap, as you heard Brandon Bean lay out, you got to lay out $15 million for your draft class, uh, more another few million for your practice squad, and then he always likes to have 4 to $5 million in reserve at the start of the season. So if you get hit with a rash of injuries, you can pick up a couple of free agents to fill the holes that injury left behind and we know what injury did to this team last year so you want to at least have the financial wherewithal to address holes in your roster of injury strikes of the long-term variety which we saw to three different starting positions daquan jones matt milano tredavious white you don't have any money to spend in september you could be up a creek and this is already going to be a young roster to begin with we're anticipating and they saw that with the safety market last year. They saw a super-saturated market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a player like Jordan Poyer, who maybe wanted to go see what he was worth on the open market, maybe he didn't get the number that he wanted, so that's why he comes back to the yeah, Bills. we didn't expect him to come back. We didn't expect him to come back, for sure. Uh, but yet he was a part of this roster. Is under contract still for next season. Uh, a couple names. Not sure if the Bills will go after these two guys because they... they probably be worth quite a bit of money. Buda Baker, Eddie Jackson, Mike Hyde is next on that list. Tracy Walker, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Jordan Whitehead, Chuck Clark, uh, Jaron Curse. Just a couple of names that are safety-free agents that will be available on yeah. the market. Whitehead might be an affordable option. Right. Uh, I don't anticipate him being a guy that's going to be in the first wave of free agency. Like Xavier McKinney, that guy's going to get buku bucks. Mm-hmm. He's going to be like the Jesse Bates of last year. Jesse Bates got giant money from the Saints last year in free agency 
And then that was really it. Some other guys signed some nice deals, but I still don't think they got the kind of money they thought they would get. And Poyer's probably in that group, too, which was the main reason the Bills were able to get him back on what they deemed an affordable contract. Now, the irony of that is his contract might not be deemed affordable anymore with the cap figure it currently has for the Bills at $8 million. I don't know if they feel whether they can stomach that contract, so maybe they talk to him and they rework it, or... Jordan might just say, you know what, I'm just going to try my luck in free agency. I don't want to take a pay cut or what have you. And then he's into the market. But I think him and his agent might look at that market and be like, I don't know if I'm going to do better than this number that the Bills are giving me to stay on the roster. Maybe I should just stay put. Um, So the the free agent landscape at safety is very intriguing this offseason because of the supply that is out there right now and because of the decision that they may have to make on Jordan Poyer, depending on how successful they are getting in cap compliance you know, before the start of the league year on March 13th. That's that's the real fly in the ointment right and now. And let's live in a world for, for a couple of seconds here where what if Micah Hyde decides to, to go elsewhere or maybe he, he decides to... Uh, Put up his cleats, say, I, I'm retiring. I've had a great NFL career. I'm, I'm ready to move on to, to being a dad to my wonderful kids and wife. And Jordan Poyer also, maybe they maybe they can't make it work. Maybe um, he wants to go see what, what he's worth on an open market. Then you really have to think, how do we want to rebuild from this position? You have a dynamic duo in, in Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde who are one of the best safety tandems in the NFL and have been for seven years since they came into the building in 2017. Yeah. I mean, that that takes a lot of a lot of thought, a lot of planning into, okay, how do you want to attack a position like that? I, I really hope at, that one of them is still on the roster next year because it's hard for me to stomach starting over at that position. Yeah, but, you know, as we know in this league, longevity is a fleeting thing. And even Brandon said it when he was here with us yesterday. To see a safety tandem last for seven seasons on one team, that is an anomaly, not the norm. Yep. And I think, unfortunately, all good things have to come to an end. And it has been a great run for those two as a tandem on this roster. They've been cornerstone players in the McDermott era. But I I have a sinking feeling that they're going to have to turn the page there and they're going to have to find a free agent veteran player uh, or two, potentially, to put in those starting roles going forward and then backfill with draft choices and stuff like that. That is that is a position that I think is going to see more turnover than I think we're all anticipating mm-hmm. right now, and it's, it's going to be a priority for them that sits right underneath addressing the defensive line and maybe addressing that number two wide receiver spot if Gabe Davis goes elsewhere in free agency, which I think some... I think most of us are anticipating because I think somebody will pay Gabe Davis on the open market, and it's just not a position they can afford to throw out giant money. They need cheap labor there. That's going to have to be in the draft most likely. Where in the draft is the $84 million question? we got to take a break here because we are at the top of the hour. But guess what? Guess who's joining us in the beginning of the second hour? It's draft guru number two. From The Athletic, Dane Brugler. You know his draft guide every year. It's called The Beast for a Reason. It's over 350 pages. We catch up with Dane next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
on Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome back. Hour number two of One Bills Live here at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Chris Brown, Matty Glad with you, and pleased to be joined now by the lead draft analyst for The Athletic. It is Dane Brugler, who will have his gigantic tome of a draft guide out somewhere before the draft. We know it is a heavy lift, quite literally, for you. I, I never print it out. I download it because it's just too many dang pages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the beast will be out eventually this spring, so keep an eye out for it at theathletic.com. Dane, good to have you as always. Thanks for coming back and joining us. Of course. Um, everybody has their favorites in the draft in terms of prospects. So do you have a player that you are completely and utterly in love with out of this year's draft class, and if so, why? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to keep the list short because there are really a lot of players. Well, you can give us two or three if you want, but like guys that you're over the moon about that sure fire. uh, Malik Neighbors, LSU. Okay. I I think he's, in my opinion, you cannot name the best three players in this draft without mentioning Malik Neighbors. Okay. You can't do it. You have to to include him in there. He is that good. And he's really one of these first receivers that I remember watching and saying, that's where the seven on seven is. Like we, seven on sevens become such a big part of how, how these guys develop. And you see it with Malik Neighbors, the way he gets open, how he creates after the catch, mm. the acceleration he plays with is tremendous. And he's 20 years old. He doesn't turn 21 until the summer. He doesn't know what he doesn't know yet, and he's still this productive. Uh, led the SEC in receiving each of the last two years. This past year had 34 receptions of 20-plus yards. Mm. I, I, I'm a big believer in explosive plays translating. And nobody had more explosive plays this year than Malik Neighbors. So if I'm a team that needs a receiver in the top five, it's going to be awfully tough to pass on Neighbors. Sorry, Bills fans. He's not going to be available (laughs) at number 28. I know we want explosive plays on this offense more than they had last year, but you had two wide receivers on your list of players to watch at the Combine, Keon Coleman and Roman Wilson. Why were those guys on your list? Well, with Keon Coleman, uh, you know, he is, you could make the argument no one's better at the catch point. He is so dominant when the ball's in the air. You see the basketball background, uh, playing for Coach Izzo at Michigan State, and, you know, he has that in him. Can he, does he have the short area quickness to separate? What is his long speed? And we have a good sense of what that is on tape, but just putting the numbers, the data next to it, what does that look like for him? Um, You know, there's, some teams are higher on him than others. Some teams are out on you know just because he's a certain type of receiver Mm -hmm. um but he's an interesting fit uh for like this team specifically with buffalo as being that number two guy who you don't he doesn't need it he doesn't create a ton of space but he doesn't need a ton of space and we know josh allen's not shy uh small windows are not going to deter him he will fire it in there and a guy like keon coleman that has this humongous catch radius could really pay dividends and what's interesting about roman wilson too yeah, I'm, I'm more excited just to see him move because he's one of the best athletes in this draft. Uh, big-time track guy coming out of Hawaii, and, you know, he creates separation because he understands how to run routes, but also just he's a dang good athlete. And so th- that's more just uh, – I get, I get excited to watch really good athletes, <laughs> and he's one of them this week. And, you know, he's – in my top 100, he was like 45, 46. So he's right there in that early to mid-second round range, in my opinion. And, I mean, heck, if a team really likes him – wouldn't be a complete shock if he snuck into that first round. Slot only, or can he go outside, you think? Best in, I think there's a difference between slot only and best in the slot. He's best in the slot. You, you could line him up outside. I think he has the quickness to be, you know, the release quickness where he can get on the outside and do some things. But to totally maximize what he does, I think he's best in the slot. 
Flipping it over the defensive side of the ball, we just saw Johnny Newton. He, he prefers to be called Johnny now. Jerzon right, yep. is his given name. But Johnny Newton, defensive tackle, uh, Illinois, could be in the range for Buffalo at 28. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of free agents at the defensive tackle position, not bringing them all back. What is most attractive about him? So many things, but I think that the one thing that was my main takeaway was it's fourth quarter. It's five minutes left in the game, and you would think that it's the first quarter, first play of the game, because he is still, he's playing 60-plus snaps a game, but the energy doesn't go away. The Uh, the hustle, oh yeah. And And that's not always easy to find at that position. at, At that size, right. And so his ability to sustain that hustle, it's one thing when you watch a guy's 15 best plays and you say, oh, this guy's relentless. Okay. But what about when you ask him to do it over 50 plays a game, 60 plays a game? And I think that really separates Johnny. Um, unfortunately, not able to work out here. Uh, broke that news last week how the foot injury that he had and actually played with it the second half of his year. He told me that it was right before the Wisconsin game. Started to feel a little bit of soreness in his foot and didn't have it checked out or anything, but then started working out in January and his representation's like, all right, let's, we need to get this checked out. Just make sure. <laughs> and uh, turns out it was a partial fracture, uh, the Jones fracture. So they're hoping in April, still be able to get a pro day, still get you know, a chance to work out for teams. But yeah, he is, uh, I don't think he's, you know, you see him in top 10, top 15. I don't think he's necessarily going to be drafted that high, but somewhere in that 10 to 35 range is, is where we're probably going to see him come off the board. And so, yeah, Bill's certainly in that conversation. Mm-hmm. He was asked about that injury when the media talked to him uh, a little bit ago, and he joked around and said, I'm really good at keeping secrets. You guys didn't really know anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's go back to that list of players to watch at the Combine and stay with defensive line. Chris Jenkins and Chop Robinson were also on that list. Chop Robinson is a name that's been mocked to the Bills already at number 28 as well. What do you like about those two defensive linemen and maybe how they could fit in Buffalo as well? Chris Jenkins, uh, obviously, he's got the bloodlines, you know, but he's built differently than his dad was. His dad was 360 pounds. Uh, Chris Jenkins is going to be probably under 300 pounds here, but he's going to test really well. His twitch is really impressive, the way he moves. The stats aren't going to blow you away in terms of sacks and pressures and backfield production, but with what they asked him to do in that Michigan defense, he was really good in terms of stopping the run. He can stack. He can shed, uh, make a lot of plays. So I, you're, you're betting on the traits. You're betting mm-hmm. on uh, you know his ability to translate to whatever scheme you have. He's, he has some versatility to him. Um, he's, I think, somewhere on day two. I think first round is probably a little rich for him, but at late uh, round two, early round three, I think is kind of where he's going to go. Um, I'm sorry, who's the other Chop. guy? Chop. Chop. Yeah. He's another guy I can't wait to see because just that first step is electric. They're, the pass rushers in this draft, we don't have that Miles Garrett or the Bosa's that year, but we have a really you know a handful of pretty good pass rushers in the first round. The thing that separates Chop is he has that one trait that's hard to find, and that's that first step burst. It's electric. Michigan changed their entire game plan when they played Penn State because they knew their right tackle couldn't block Chop Robinson. So they ran the ball the entire game. And, you know, a lot of people, oh, they didn't trust J.J. McCarthy. No, they couldn't block Chop Robinson. That's why they ran the football. So, um, you know, he's not a complete player per se. Right. You know, I can't remember how many tackles he had this year, but it was under 25. It was low. You know, he, some of the run de- uh, defense stuff he needs to improve upon. But, again, when you find a guy that has that one rare trait – it, it becomes something that you can really fall in love with. And with Chop, it's that first step burst. So I'm eager to see that 10-yard split and the probably 40-plus vert, 11-plus in the broad, the, the numbers that really show the explosiveness. One guy that 
does set the edge is Darius Robinson yeah. from uh, Herp School, Missouri. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. The, I mean, beast of a player. Yeah. Uh, body type-wise, he kind of looks like Jadavian Clowney. Now, he's not Clowney, but, in, you know, in terms of pure elite athletic traits, but he's no, he's no slouch. Mm-hmm. And I was interested in seeing how they used him kind of up and down the line at times. Um, what's your thumbnail sketch of him? Well, in the past, he was more of an interior player because he was 290. I mean, yeah. he, was, he looked like more of an interior guy. He comes back for his final year, and they move him outside, and all of a sudden... Kirby Smart saying, hey, we got to block this guy. Like, he just, he blew up. And he was always the first guy off the bus, right? He always looked the part. This year, he played the part. And that, that's really encouraging. It's also encouraging how he goes to the Senior Bowl and he dominated. Mm-hmm. So he continued that momentum. And then we'll see if he can continue that momentum here. But it's hard to find guys that look like that. Because the NFL, they want guys that are bigger, faster, stronger. They do. That's just, they, they want guys with speed that have size. And so even if the college profile isn't, you know, perfect, exactly what you're looking for, they're always going to bet on traits, and Darius Robinson has those traits, which yeah. is why I'll, I'll be pretty surprised if he doesn't go Thursday night, that first night of the draft. He was saying, you know, I, I thought about coming out to, to get drafted early um, my junior season, but I decided to stay one more year, and I thought that was really cool to hear of, of a guy mm-hmm. to, hey, I want to do one more year to really make sure I'm yeah. NFL ready. If you look at your top 100 list, there are 17 wide receivers on it. Quite a big number. What do you like most about this group? I'm convinced until the end of time, receiver is going to be a strong position every year. It's just <laughs> that's where all the top athletes. If you're not a good enough quarterback, you're but you're a good athlete, you're going to receiver in high school and in, in youth football, seven on seven, all those things. So I'm I'm convinced receiver is just going to be a strength moving forward. And there's a lot of names, and so you have to pick through them and say, okay, what do we really prioritize at the position? Is it uh, just pure skill? Is it pure size? Is it speed? The best route runners, the best, uh, the guys that are best at the catch point. So everyone's order is going to look a little bit mm-hmm. different. And you figure once you get to the second, third round, you're sacrificing on something. So like a guy like Roman Wilson, you're sacrificing size for a guy that's speedy and you know has is a good route runner, catches the ball well. Um, another guy that maybe has size, you're sacrificing speed. So every one of these guys you're going to be able to poke holes in outside of Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Roma Dunze. Maybe I put Brian Thomas in there as well. I think Brian Thomas is going to be a top 15 pick. He might run 4-3 here uh, at 6-4-2-10. He's a freak. Uh, but these other receivers, the second, third tier of receivers this year, a lot of really talented players. And I, I love how there's a just a jumbled mix of these guys with what they offer. You know, Malachi Corley is very different in what he offers compared to uh, Adonai Mitchell from Texas or uh, Ricky Pearsall from Florida. All these guys are good. They project as uh, maybe not day one starters, but guys are going to be impact players for you. You know, they're going to be top three, four on your wide receiver depth chart, and you're going to look for them to make an impact early. So just the diversity of different types of receivers in this draft is really fun. I know I asked you right at the top about, you know, some of your favorite players in the draft. I have mine. It's Edger and Cooper, okay. the linebacker from A&M. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know you guys watch a boatload more tape than I do, but, I, you know, you go through people and you're like, okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, let's go to the next <laughs> yeah. one. This guy makes you sit up in your seat when you watch his tape. He That's South Carolina tape. I, I, he is electric. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is, but, like, popping his pads – bringing the wood, triggering, you know, and coming yep. downhill. Like, he stands out. Um, my question for you about him, though, is, uh, from what we understand, the edge rushing class, kind of somewhere in the, you know, maybe top half of the second round, it kind of drops off yep. precipitously. Um, I don't know where you think Cooper's going. I think he was in your top 50, if I remember he right. He was, yeah. Um, 
can you use him as a situational pass rusher if you're in the market for edge rush help but you miss the run? Right. Like, I'm wondering if that guy is versatile enough where you can maybe use him there. Scheme him right, obviously, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he's just, he's just too dynamic yeah. to keep off the field. That, and I think that's the appeal with him. He's a true four-down player. Like, he doesn't need to come off the field on special teams, passing situations. Um, you know, if you want to drop him in coverage, he can do that. If, yeah, if you want to rush him, he has the length and the speed where I, I think he'd be able to do that no problem. So uh, th- that is part of the appeal with Edron Cooper. And this isn't a great linebacker class. It's okay. No. He's right there in the mix to be linebacker one for a lot of teams. I think him and Junior Colson from Michigan are kind of the two guys fighting for that spot. But the versatility that he brings, um, you're absolutely right about the trigger. Uh, His ability to, he can take on blocks, but he can also avoid them too. The way he gets to the ball, and it's never just a straight line in football. You know, it's always you have to sift through or you have to move around blocks, and he's able to do that so efficiently. Um, And There are times, though, where he looks point A to point B. It's like, wow, how did he get through there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Again, that that South Carolina save just sticks (laughs) in my mind from him uh, this past year where uh, he understands – down he understands situation he understands depth and when he sees it he unlocks and goes and so yeah he he, he put some really good stuff on on tape and it's no surprise why first round's not out of the realm of possibility for him uh probably second round's more likely but yeah. you know i could certainly understand why a team would look at that versatility that you're talking about and say yeah we feel good about that in the top 32 Eight of Buffalo's 12 defensive linemen who were on the roster last season are set to become free agents, and, and they might do some of that work in the draft. So mm-hmm. if you're the Bills, you're shopping for an edge, you're shopping for a defensive tackle, where do you draft him? What round do you draft him in to get somebody who can be a player in the first season of his NFL career? Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned how the pass rush group is – it's a little underwhelming. You know, we've got some first-round guys this year with Jared Verse and uh, Dallas Turner, Chop Robinson, who we talked about, uh, Liatu Latu from UCLA's in there. Uh, but then there is a, a little bit of a drop-off in terms of who, what's that second tier look like, yeah. third tier look like. Um, and you could probably say the same thing about defensive tackle. Uh, you know, Tavondre Sweat from Texas is a different type of defensive tackle than, yeah. say, Johnny Newton. Uh, Sweat's more of them. I'm eager to see what he weighed in at because he, he skipped that at the Senior Bowl uh, for a reason. Wasn't I mean, ready yet. <laughs> he was he was playing north of 370 this year uh, at Texas. But knowing he's that big and seeing how he can still move is just kind of – uh, jaw-dropping. But, you know, if you like Jordan Davis coming out of Georgia, uh, who's a top 15 pick or top 20 pick to the Eagles, yeah. you're going to like Tavondre Sweat. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, in terms of just p- being that size and be able to do some crazy things. So uh, as long as you trust him off the field, which that was a question in the past, as long as you trust him off the field, I think, you know, Sweat's a guy you're going to consider in the first round. His teammate Byron Murphy, yeah, I think he's a dark horse to be the first defensive player drafted period he's dynamic he is and he's smaller he's six foot 300 pounds but you know i I talked to him a couple days ago coming here and he told me how he never considered being a defensive lineman he always thought he would be an nfl running back growing up (laughs) and then his sophomore year in high school he was a middle linebacker and they had a pressure package where they'd bring him down to the defensive line and it worked too well because they got him down there and they're like, oh, he's beating these guys in two seconds. <laughs> and, you know, like, okay, you're a defensive lineman now. And so at this point, he's 240. And so he adds ways up to 275. Uh, and then his senior year at, at 280, he broke Vaughn Miller's uh, sack record at yeah. DeSoto mm-hmm. High School. So, yeah, he is a, a really dynamic player versus the pass and versus the run. So 
wouldn't be surprised if he goes off the board somewhere top 15. You know, the Vikings at 11, uh, Raiders at 13. Dark Horse would be that first defensive player drafted. All right, so it's let's just run a scenario here. It's day three of the draft. People are, like, wiping their eyes from being up late on Friday night. It's day three, drinking their coffee. They're watching the draft. Give me two or three sleeper players that people should be aware of, like a name we should be aware of to be ready to hear on day three that could surprise some people. Um, my Yale left tackle uh, is a guy I'm pretty high on. Um, you know, he's coming off quad tear. And yeah, that's a tough one. That, especially for offensive linemen. But I think some teams are looking at it as, hey, I'm just getting a discount on him, you know, because he's a really good player. Uh, left tackle, Kieran Omega Geji, uh, he is how you want a tackle to look in terms of the length, the way that he can sink, his athleticism. He's just, he's, he's raw, coming from the Ivy League. So it's a, not a, an instant, he's going to make an it's impact. An investment. It is. But I think a couple of years from now, you're going to look back and say, okay, we're glad we drafted this guy in the fourth round or whatever it is. Um, I really like Andrew Phillips, the corner from Kentucky. I'm surprised he doesn't get more love. Now, he might end up going uh, day two just because uh, other teams it are high on him one as well. Team, that's that's it. But he's, I think people are going to look at well, no interceptions in college. Okay, you know, like that's, you know, they're going to look down on that. But uh, give me the corners that are competitive and that have speed. Uh, that, give me those guys, and we have something to work with. And Andrew Phillips, I think he's a day one nickel because he has those traits. Uh, really competitive dude. So, uh, yeah, I think he's a guy that people are sleeping on him. And, Throw Austin Booker in there as well. Oh, I like him, Kansas. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's long, really long, and he's uh, it doesn't. It, it's rare to see a guy like this that has only so few snaps. I mean he's a not even a one year starter. He didn't start this past year for yeah. Kansas. Had an eight sack season, if I remember right. Though led the team in sacks and uh, twelve tackles for loss, and uh, but he's a guy that you're getting on the ascent. You know, like he's. And he's not just a traits guy. Like, you see him make plays versus the run, the way he can track, the way he sees it. So Austin Booker is a guy that uh, I think should go a lot higher than he's being projected. More and more players are opting to not test at the Combine, decide to do it at their pro day. Does this mean anything for the future of the NFL Combine, or is it no big deal? No big deal. I mean, honestly, this has been going on for a long time. I I was interested to... I've got all the combine sheets going back to the mid-90s. Wow. And so I went back to 96 just to see if Marvin Harrison's dad worked out, and mm. he didn't. And it's funny. I'm reading all these names, um, you know, some big-name players. A lot of them didn't work out at the combine. Okay. So, like, I don't think this is maybe, like, a newer thing. It's just it, every year we have guys that – and obviously, you know, agents play a part and say – let's just wait, let's keep training. Maybe they're coming off a late-season injury that they're late training for some of these drills. Um, I understand, you know, the quarterbacks not throwing here. They want to be in their own ecosystem, and they're throwing their own receivers. I get that. Um, But, you know, teams want to see these guys compete too. So at the same time, it's like it's not a big deal, but still I'm going to give you extra points if you come here, compete, put your best foot forward, and show us what you can do. Last one, Dane, uh, because we get a lot of these comments from our listeners and our viewers uh, because Brian Thomas is a buzz name that they keep getting mocked to the Bills, although some people have them getting going earlier. Well, here's (laughs) the thing about that because I'm trying to find – 
the team, like, you know, there's three teams in the top ten that are going to take one of those top three receivers. Yeah. But then I'm looking for that fourth team, and I, I get all the way down to the Bucks at 26. I mean, someone could move up. Mm-hmm. Someone could move up. And, all right, if the Bucks don't, you know, franchise Evans or re-sign him, yes, okay, they could take a receiver. But they, they're at 26. They're only two spots ahead of the Bills. I mean, you see somebody jumping up to get him, I'm guessing. But my question, well, yeah. my question real quick is people want us to kind of compare and contrast Brian Thomas Adonai Mitchell. Like, yeah. how much separation there? Would you have Mitchell right after him on the list? Like, where do you kind of come down on that? Yeah, I think Mitchell's right right now. I mean, Brian Thomas is just a freak. He yeah. is, you know, 6'3 and a half, 210, and he's good. Like I said, he might run in the four threes here. Mitchell's going to test good, too, though. He will. He will. Um, I, I, Thomas, I think, you know, with his... I expected, when I first started watching his tape, I expected to see a raw player. He's not. He's a really good route runner. Um, he's and he blocks his butt off. Um, I, I think he's just a better football player right now than Adonai Mitchell. But Adonai Mitchell's a good player too. Um, I, I wish he was a little more physical down the field. Um, you know, some of those catch points aren't going to be as clean in the NFL. Uh. And I've got a little more trust in Brian Thomas. I you look at the Colts at fifteen, the Jaguars and the seventeen. Yeah, if the Colts don't get Pittman back, right, mm-hmm. right, right. They they need outside receiver help. I, I think there are. He's going to have a, some first-round grades, and I just I have a hard time seeing a first-round graded receiver fall that, that far. far. So, you know, I, I, I think he's going to go. But, uh, you know, I, if you're a Bills fan, you're certainly crossing your fingers. It doesn't happen. <laughs> and toes. Uh, <laughs> Dane, thanks very much. Appreciate all the time. Always, Good yeah. luck uh, getting that beast wrapped Thank up you. and out to everybody. I can't wait uh, Remember, the draft guide, the beast, it'll be out on theathletic.com, so be sure to keep an eye out for it. Uh, somewhere in early April. That's early what, April well, yeah. that's, we won't pin you down, but early <laughs> April is when uh, Dane will have it out for you. we got to take a break here, but we'll be back with plenty more here on a Wednesday at one, at one Bills Drive. On a Wednesday here at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. We're back in a second. Stay tuned. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Matty Glab, coming to you live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. And look who we've got in between <laughs> us. NFL on CBS, NFL Network. You got any other networks you're working for these days? Charles Davis joining us you here. Know, you know, let, let me think about getting back right. with you on that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's start here. I want to hit the rewind button a little bit because I know you were at the Senior Bowl all yeah. week. Yeah. So who for you was the most impressive prospect for you at the Senior Bowl, and who was the biggest surprise player for you in Mobile? He wasn't a surprise, and, and, and he was he was extremely impressive. Quinion uh, Mitchell, okay. cornerback yep. out of Toledo. Not a surprise in terms of I knew he was good. If I want to use the word, word surprise, that good. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? So a like, corner picks a corner. Like, 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 like you yeah. know, <laughs> well, you know, if you saw me run, you know I was a safety, and that's why I'm jealous because those corners can fly. But just his ability to take on every challenge that week and want to go against the number one guys and right. to not just hold his own but to win okay. more times than not, he was that guy. A kid got hurt, and I'll come back to another one in a second, but a kid got hurt, Rasheem Ali, the running back out of Marshall. Okay. And it was terrible because he was really starting to have a, a, a big-time senior bowl week, and that was a bummer. Absolute bummer. Yeah, because you want to see him in the game. You want to see him in the game, but he ruptured a bicep, and it could cost him draft uh. status. It could cost him where he ends up going and being a free agent. Um, talk about a guy coming out. Coming out it was Darius Robinson. Yeah. He emerged for me. Mizzou. The, right? I like him. Mizzou. He, yep. he emerged for me because – I watched him work at edge. I watched him work down reduced at defensive tackle, and he did both of those in the one-on-one drills and the team drills. I asked him today, I said, this is what I observed. I observed you 
growing in stature and confidence that by with each day you got more that way and you started being the first guy on the line wanting the best guy and he said yeah I actually yeah I think you're right because it wasn't he was hiding in the back but he realized he was what do we say now is that guy yeah. right and he was like, he'd stand up in the line of scrimmage. He'd look across, like, send me a tackle. Send me your best it one. It was important for send him. Send me a guard. Send me your best one. And he would go. It was important for him to go back for his senior yeah, year and, at Mizzou. And, and it made and a he developed, right? huge difference. Sometimes patience can be rewarded. Yeah. Sometimes you can do it. You know, you're in the seventh grade, and you want to go to the eighth grade dance, and you get <laughs> asked, and your mother says no, and you're upset. And she says no because... You want things to happen in their time. You want to mature and do be able to handle it. Does that sound like a personal thing? It kind of happened. No. Yeah, I think it did. But anyway, <laughs> um, moving right along. Thanks, Mom. You taught me a good lesson. Yeah. Charles, you have such a great pulse on the NFL covering this league for so many seasons. The Bills hired Joe Brady as yeah. their offensive coordinator. He was their interim OC in the second half of last season. We saw some good things from him. Yeah. He had some familiarity with Josh Allen. So what is the fam- familiarity with the quarterback? back like Josh Allen do for a new offensive coordinator who's still very young in his coaching career. You speak shorthand right away. You know, you don't have to spend a lot of time trying to decipher each other, learn each other, what you like, what you don't like, all of that. That stuff happens a lot quicker and a lot more organically to bring back a you know word of the year from three years ago. The big thing that, that I thought Joe Brady brought was an understanding of his head coach. Mm. That was my impression from the outside in. His head coach is a defensive coordinator who is also a head coach, and I haven't met a defense coordinator yet that does not want someone who can run the football, okay? I've not run into those guys, all right? It's the rare one. Now, I've run into defensive coordinators who become head coaches that hire guys that pitch it around because it drives their defense crazy, but they also want them to be able to run the football because they want to be able to control clock, help their defense, do all those other things. And I thought Joe Brady played that masterfully down the stretch he wasn't kowtowing to sean mcdermott he wasn't trying to oh well i hope i get the job because i'm going to run the football he realized that helped the football team and it did in a big way james cook really blossomed as a runner what what, what number games five six games down the stretch and by the way who ran the ball more effectively against kansas city in the playoffs Buffalo ran it better than anyone. And scored more points scored on that defense points. than right. any other team. Than yeah. any other team. So that was a, you know, look, you're a twist and a turn and a bouncing ball away from advancing on. That's the hard part. You had them at home. That's really difficult. But I think that Joe Brady and Sean McDermott fit. I think it's a good match. And now I'm looking forward to seeing Brandon Bean continue to develop that with extra guys and extra talent there. And one more time, Brandon Bean, you're going to punch me dead in the face. Big running back. <laughs> big running back continue to have that i love having cook yeah. but i still want a thumper that mm. can come in yeah, and Ty give Johnson you, did some give nice you, stuff give you eight to ten year. carries but i want a thumper all right i'm I gonna like flip that. it over oh, that by the way braylon allen wisconsin just throwing it mm. out there. Oh, okay, okay. Right. uh flip it over to defense here because i know we're tight on time knowing the de- defensive scheme for the bills is largely going to remain the same yeah. even though you got bobby babbage as coordinator now what do you like as a fit for them at number 28 in round one defensive lineman, because if we've been, as we've been talking yeah. about all, all week, eight of Buffalo's 12 defensive linemen on the roster are free agents. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if the Newton kid, Jerzon Newton from yeah. Illinois, is And he wants to around. be called Johnny now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to call him Johnny because he'll beat me up. So, so Johnny <laughs> Newton, I'd love, love to see. Let's, let's, yeah, let's, nice. let's say a big guy like that's around. I just sat with Byron Murphy. From, okay. from, 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 oh, nice. from Texas. I think he's going early. I think he might go a little bit earlier yeah. than that. It'd be interesting, though. 
how much do you value that true zero one technique? And that's his teammate, Devondre Sweat, who is super horsepowered, beat you up there. I don't know what you're getting in the pass rush, though. Right. But, but you're well, you got Ed Oliver attack. for that. You got so. Ed Oliver for that. So maybe a guy like that, you might not have to give him in the first round. You give him in the second round. Yeah. So, so a player of that caliber comes to mind for me. And then I'm always thinking about the back end for you. Because, yeah. look, Christian Benford has given you play. Dane Jackson has given you play. One's a sixth rounder. One's a seventh rounder. Okay? Kyrie Lum, your first rounder. I thought played his best football somewhat in the playoffs. But it hasn't been as consistent as they've wanted. Yeah. What's going to happen there? Trey White coming back from injury right. again. Getting those corners solidified will be a big deal. And I know the safety position is also a spot. I just want to tell it's you. It's a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Kid I've fallen in love with is out of Utah, Cole Bishop. Okay. okay. i got to look at him. i fallen in love with Cole Bishop. Traffic cop type of a guy. Classic free safety who will set your defense and clean up everything that comes through with good tackling. All right. All right, one last one for me before we break. Uh, you were at the HBCU Legacy Bowl recently, which I love that has gotten a lot more pub yeah. over the last couple of years. Are there any players that Bills fans should keep an eye on or any players that you fell in love with there? Well, at the HBCU All-Star Game, there was one quarterback named Davius Richard out of North Carolina Central who was clearly the best player at the, at the game and I think is deserving of a shot, dislocated his ankle on the first Ugh. drive of the series no. of the game, and that was terrible to see him go out like that. If you're talking about other people, he wasn't at the All-Star game, but he was scheduled for the Shrine Bowl, I believe. Sundiata Anderson, okay. defensive lineman out of Grambling. Right. Keep an eye on him and, and see what Anderson. happens there. Um, there's a safety who would be like a line, dime linebacker. Remember Marquise Bell? Came in from Florida A&M, didn't get drafted. He's now playing a lot for Dallas yeah. in all their packages. The guy that kind of fit that role was a kid named Jordan Tolles. Mm. He had been an LSU kid, transferred back to Morgan State. Okay. 6'2", 6'3", 210, 215 pounds. You know what we're doing with those safeties now. We're turning them into linebackers in yeah. a lot of cases. He, he's a guy that I think will bear watching, and, and those are just some of the kids that I saw there. Great. Charles, thanks for the time, as always, because we know you're on uh, – I'm on the clock. Wash, rinse, repeat around here got, on Radio Gotta get Road. out of here. I appreciate you appreciate guys it. bringing me always, on. Always Thanks good so to much. see you. Hopefully we see more of you next season. We, we uh, NFL on CBS. It's been too long since we've been to Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> we got to take a break. We're back with more here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right. Welcome back to the NFL Combine here in Indianapolis. Chris Brown, Maddie Glab with you. And uh, sorry, we've had all the interviews. We haven't had a lot of time to talk to you at 803-0550, But we do have a few minutes here at the end of the show. So uh, let's go back to the phones. And waiting there for us is Judy in Buffalo. What's up, Judy? Okay. Uh, I'm ha- very happy to hear that the uh, prospect that we have is the LSU receiver because I-, I think they're a proven commodity. All right. So I hope that they use all their draft choices to get young. I, I even hope that they pick up the quarterback, Rattler. Now, the, our, our weaknesses on defense, I agree with that. But, you know, the, when all is said and done, there will be plenty of free agents left who are willing to sign with the Bills, who are a winning team to enhance their careers for at least one year at minimal prices. And I think that's the way the Bills should start looking. I don't think draft choices on defense are going to do anything for us. I'm out. Okay. Thanks, Judy. Appreciate that. Um, 
I think they'll be able to find some talent in the draft that can play right away. Um, you know, I, I think there's enough talent there. And, and look, as much as, the, as you and everybody else would like to see the Bills be busy in free agency, I don't think they're going to have the cap space to fulfill all the holes on their roster like they have in the past. And so I think the reason why Brandon Bean, you know, told us yesterday and has said more than once before that we really have to hit on this draft is because he knows they're going to need to put players that they draft on the field in year one and not just on special teams, on offense or defense. They're going to have to fill some kind of role. Now, maybe on the defensive line, that's a rotational role because they roll eight guys through. But that guy's going to be playing 25, 30 snaps a week on defense. Um, they're going to have to find them. Uh, but I do think Judy is, is, is astute on this point. She talked about signing free agents later in the free agent period, which I think for all intents and purposes could be post-draft, which we saw the Bills do with a great degree of success last year. Puna Ford, Leonard Floyd, and Leonard Floyd is a good poster child to show free agents to say, hey, look, Leonard Floyd came here on a one-year deal, had a good season on a good defense, a top-ten defense, and look at the money he made the next year in free agency. And then the Bills benefit, too, because if you lose a guy like Leonard Floyd to a big contract and you have a net loss of free agents, you get another compensatory next year for Leonard Floyd, maybe for A.J. Epinesa. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I think Bills fans shouldn't freak out if we go if we come out of – when a lot of free agent signings happen within those first several weeks of free agency, a few weeks of free agency, and you're saying there are so many holes still on the roster. I wouldn't freak out yet, even after the draft, if you're still thinking, we need to fill some holes. Why didn't they do this in the draft? They should have already done it in free agency. Maybe they're hanging around to see who's still sticking out, who's still available that's a free agent that can come to Buffalo, maybe on on a deal that's a little less money than it would have been if you're signing a guy within the first three weeks of free agency. Yeah, so let's take a look at last year's free agent period just as an example. Okay, they signed safety Zane Anderson First guy out of the shoot. He got cut before free agency started. I think he was signed right around this time last year before the free agent market opened because he was a street guy. Um, didn't even make the roster. Signed a, a nominal deal. Then early in free agency, they signed Deontay Hardy, Connor McGovern. Mm-hmm. And those were really the only guys that got signed in that first wave of free agency. Everybody else was one-year deals. Kyle Allen. Trent Sherfield, Damian Harris, David Edwards, Taylor Rapp, Latavius Murray, and then later in the spring, Leonard Floyd, Puna Ford, and then they had a couple of other nominal signings as well. I think you got to look for that same kind of formula this year. So what does that mean? That means you're probably going to see one, maybe two guys in the first two weeks that sign respectable money deals for the Bills and probably more than one year. You know, maybe it's Daquan Jones, two years, nine and a half million with incentives that can push it to like 12. And then maybe it's, you know, um, a veteran receiver for cheap. And then we're probably waiting 
after that because that's the blueprint from last year and your cap situation is harder to navigate this year than it was last year and it's it's seemingly so that this team is more and more not of a first wave free agency team and that's okay that's not a bad thing uh, because the bills are in a spot where you don't need to be signing all these big name players in free agency because you have quite a few big names on your roster already you're in a good point uh, within your system within what you have going on consistent playoff team know they're still trying to get over the hump but it's not like you need to be attacking on those first few days anyways even if they have the cap space to do so they have a roster that looks really good when you put it up against a lot of other NFL rosters I know there are some big holes as it relates to free agents um, guys set to become free agents here in a few weeks uh, but I trust the scouting department um, they, they know what's best for this team and, and, and they'll begin to address that here shortly we'll, we'll start to find out in a few weeks guys we also have players around the league that have been given permission to seek a trade, most notably Legereus Sneed of the Chiefs and Zach Wilson, quarterback of the Jets. The Jets thought he'd be fine to be their backup last year. Everybody had egg on their face by the end of the season. They're not making that mistake again. I don't know who's going to be interested in Zach Wilson, but if they can find somebody, his agent's amazing. <laughs> and, and what would the trade look like, too? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know what the compensation is. Maybe if you have a coaching staff that feels like, you know what? It's in there and I, I can, can get, get it out of them. Out of them. Yeah. So let's lob them a seventh rounder. Mm. If they can get a seventh rounder for Zach Wilson, that would be amazing. And think about that value. Zach Wilson was the second pick in the draft. Yeah. That one hurts. It's crazy how things work out. And you look at these quarterbacks in this year's draft class, not comparing them exactly to Zach Wilson, but you wonder when you look down the road in a few years from now, what are we going to say about Caleb Williams and and Drake May and Jaden Daniels? Yeah, and that's why it's a risk because as sure a thing as some guys look sometimes, and if you're getting drafted second, you look like a pretty sure thing, and that's what the Jets thought of Zach Wilson. Sometimes you miss. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you miss. That's why I'm glad the Bills got their guy. You don't have to worry about that. That's it for us today. Got Ian Rappaport, Tom Pelissero tomorrow. We'll see you at 1.